Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you are listening to Heartwork, the Virtues of Good Friendship, taken from Imam al-Ghazali's Ihya'ul Umiddin, the Revival of the Religious Sciences. In this series, we read and explore the eight characteristics that Imam al-Ghazali has outlined as the foundation of being a virtuous friend. He builds off of verses in the Qur'an, hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and stories of the righteous from our tradition, and we try to apply them in the context of contemporary real-life examples. At Roots, we have daily offerings for the community across a variety of demographics, focusing on social and spiritual growth. Your contribution helps us grow and allows us to provide more for you and your family and friends. Become a monthly sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain, and please honor us with a visit to Dallas, Texas. Welcome home. Okay, assalamu alaikum. Sorry for the delay. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. How is everybody? Alhamdulillah. Welcome home. It's good to see you. Uh, Alhamdulillah. Um, some exciting news. Uh, the espresso machine made it to the counter. And so we're that much closer, inshallah, um, to our uh, hopeful, inshallah, grand opening towards the end of the month. Uh, inshallah. We'll have more updates on that um, by the end of the month. We hope to be ordering all of our furniture this week and hoping, inshallah, that all that delivers on time. Uh, inshallah. Okay. So um, tonight, alhamdulillah, as many of you may have heard, is the beginning of a new series uh, for Heartwork. Uh, we just finished covering Surah Al-Kahf, and um, that was its own, you know, sort of amazing series. And I wanted to conclude, uh, you know, and transition from that to this in, in talking about the idea of um, Surah Al-Kahf being something that is, is like, you know, it's like food for the soul. And it's something that we're supposed to engage in on a weekly basis, every Friday, read the chapter, Kahath 18 in the Qur'an, and engage in those reflections. I hope, inshallah, that that series was, uh, you know, served as that for everybody, inshallah. Um, now, this series, this is uh, perhaps one of my favorite sections from any book. Uh, you guys probably, if you've been around long enough, you've probably heard me quote uh, the great Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, uh, rahimahullah, you've probably heard me quote him so many times. Um, I feel like a deep debt of gratitude to him just because I feel like, mashallah, he had a way of being able to talk about these really, really complex, um, you know, spiritual, personal, social topics in a way that's very relevant. I mean, given the fact that he lived a thousand years ago, for him to be able to connect um, to audiences, you know, in, in, in the 2022 Dallas, Texas uh, area is an amazing testament to his ability to, um, to, to reflect and to write. So this section or this you know, chapter that we're going to be reading from one of his books called the Ihya Ulum al-Din, it's an essential read for every person in this room. You know, sometimes we teach things from the Islamic studies uh, curriculum and those things immediately only apply to certain people. Uh, it could be something like how to fast or how to make hajj. Hajj is a really good example. So we teach a class on hajj and not everyone is doing hajj all the time and every year and so it's not applicable to people immediately, okay? Or we teach zakat, and, you know, I remember, like, growing up, you know, I was like, zakat is something for people who are older, who make money, etc. And so there's, a, there's an entire generation of people that there are sciences or there are topics that don't necessarily apply to them. If we talk about, like, being a good parent or being a good spouse, there are people that are not yet there. But this topic is a topic that every single person can relate to at some level. 
And that's why I chose it, because this topic is something that is absolutely practical immediately, meaning like as soon as we talk about it tonight, as soon as we discuss the, uh, uh, the introduction and go into the first section tonight, everyone in here, whether or not you wanted to, is going to leave with something nourishing to take home, something that's going to change their perspective on this topic. Imam al-Ghazali, he wrote an entire section of his great work called the Ihya. He wrote an entire section on what's called Adab al-Suhbah, the etiquettes of companionship, right? The manners that a person should have when it comes to their relationships with people. Everyone in here has some sort of relationship with somebody. I don't mean like that, right? But everyone here has some relationship, whether it's familial, whether it is professional, uh, whether it is friendly, right, social, everyone in here has some kind of relationship with people. And those relationships, by definition, Imam al-Ghazali says that there are certain etiquettes that apply to everybody in those scenarios. In fact, if we look at the entirety of the Islamic tradition and the corpus of Islam, we find the Prophet ﷺ saying things that are like very powerful about knowing how to behave and how to act around people. He says things like, إِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ he says these statements like, I was only sent, meaning that I was only sent. The only reason why Allah sent me as a messenger was to perfect good character. That's an amazing statement because we know that the Prophet ﷺ was sent with the Qur'an. We know that he was sent with all these miracles, teaching his sunnah. We know all of that. So how then does the Prophet ﷺ summarize all of that into good character? Well... The reality is that when a person acts upon what they know from Islam, they are supposed to become more beautiful. That's the idea. When we gain spirituality, we're supposed to become more patient. And so the things that frustrated us before don't frustrate us now. We're supposed to become more gentle, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, He mentions to Musa salam that when you go to Fir'aun, the greatest tyrant of them all, right? One of the greatest tyrants in the history of humanity. Allah instructed Musa to speak to him how? Like a boss? No. What did he say? Speak to him with qawlin layyin. Speak to him with a lenient, light speech. Right? So the commentators, they talk about this and they say, why was Musa salam instructed to speak to Fir'aun? Fir'aun who's like the worst of, of people, why was he instructed to speak to him so lightly? And the Mufassirin, they say that if a person comes with bad character, it doesn't matter what they have in their heart. Like, it doesn't matter what you have. If you come with bad character, no one's going to want to talk to you. No one's going to want to deal with you. It doesn't matter if you have the secret to happiness itself. People are going to be like, I don't want to engage with this person. They make me feel low about myself, right? And so we are, inshallah, going to be going on this journey. And this journey uh, is uh, not always going to be comfortable. And the reason why it's not going to be comfortable is because I'm going to advise everybody now that when we read through this book together, inshallah, and when we cover these, these finer points, these details, it's very important for us not to fall into the greatest trap of shaitan on the journey of self-improvement. And what is that trap? That trap is the minute you hear something negative, you think of someone else. That's the greatest trap of shaitan. That the moment you hear something negative, like Imam al-Ghazali says, people should not be like this. You're like, man, that's just like Ahmed, right? Or that's just like Fatima. Like, that's the greatest trap. Shaytan will make you, and your nafs, remember, your nafs is like the greatest lawyer you've ever seen or you've never seen. It will make you think of everyone else. 
And the allegations will come flying out of your heart. You'll start thinking, man, I remember this and this and this and this. And then when it comes to remind, reminding your own self of those times where you did that, you'll start to come up with exceptions. Well, the only benefit that we take from reading books on improving ourselves is when we put ourselves in the hot seat. That is the only benefit. Otherwise, well, what benefit is there? There's no benefit pointing out flaws in somebody else. There's none. You know, if you point out that someone else is ugly, you don't get prettier. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not how it works, right? There's no addition by subtraction there. The only value, and you shouldn't be calling people ugly anyways, but the only value in this gathering is when we can turn the mirror on ourselves and we can start to look inward. There's a statement that's narrated to the Prophet in which he is narrated to have said, In aratta and tadkur ayuba ghayrika, fadkur ayuba nafsika. The moment you feel within yourself the impulse to remind somebody or to make mention of a flaw within someone else, remind yourself of your own flaws. In the Ihya, Imam Ghazali quotes a narration that's attributed to Isa, Jesus, السلام, peace be upon him, where he says that notice that the hand that is pointing has one finger going out and three coming back in. And so for every time you find something wrong in someone else, remind yourself of three things wrong with yourself. Now what happens when you do this practically? This all sounds great for, for Twitter and Instagram, right? Like someone's going to put this on TikTok tonight with some dude in the background, right? Don't do that. I swear to God, if I've seen myself on TikTok, I'm going to come find you. I have a special set of skills. Okay, so what's the point of that? The point is when you practically act on this, when you behave like that, you know what happens? You stop talking about people. You stop mentioning people. You stop thinking about that. You st and then eventually your heart stops even feeling this way towards people. You know, there's stages, right? When backbiting, but backbiting doesn't start on the lips, it starts in the heart. The riba doesn't start here, it starts here. The thought, the impulse, the idea has to grow. It has to be fertilized. And unfortunately, it's like a rotten plant. It has to be, and then eventually it's like poison. It takes over until eventually, subhanAllah, and notice Allah, even in His creation of us, He put our heart under our mouth. Right? So the heart eventually leads. It has to go up the cavity through and then eventually out the lips and then you can't take it back. So... The beginning of all of these cures, even though it manifests on the limbs of the, of the body, it all starts here, okay? So we're going to be reading, inshallah, this amazing chapter called Hukuk Al-Ukhuwa wa suhba which is the rights of brotherhood, sisterhood, and companionship. But I want to call it something else. I want to call it the virtues of good friendship. And tonight, what we're going to start with, and I'm going to remind us of this periodically throughout the class, that... The goal for these gatherings is not to think about anybody else, but the goal is to think, how can I become this person? How, the person he's describing. I don't want to sit and talk about people that haven't treated me this way. I want to figure out, how can I become this way? So our first activity tonight, inshallah, I want you to turn to your right and to your left. Okay? And I want you, inshallah, to turn and kind of form a little, little, little pod. I want you to say, salam alaikum. And we're going to take five minutes. It's 7.51. You ready for the question? Relax, relax. Hey, we don't have the question yet. What's the question? All right, you ready? Okay, if you're here, you got to understand. I'm not here for numbers. I'm here for being vulnerable because that's the only way we're going to get better. I want you guys to open up really quickly because you're pretty much probably with people that you know or you met before. I want you to introduce yourself and I want you to share one thing about yourself as a friend that you thank Allah that he gave you that trait. 
Okay, so maybe you're somebody who calls your friends or you're hospitable or this and that. You have a good trait, okay? And I want you to mention that. However, hold on. The next one is I want you to mention in a moment of vulnerability. And don't, don't, none of that destroy yourself, right? I want you to say one thing I want to work on about myself is I want to have, I want to be better at being this kind of friend. I want to be this kind of person. And think of someone else that has that trait and maybe share an example. You know, I have someone... Every time we go to their house, they have the whole spread. They're so generous. It's insane, right? I want to be like that and share a moment or an opportunity of growth. So number one, one thing you're thankful that Allah has given you already. And then the second is, say alhamdulillah. And the second thing is, how can I become better? Five minutes, inshallah. Get to know each other. I want you to know some names, inshallah, okay? Bismillah. Two minutes, two minutes left. Alrighty, last minute, last minute, inshallah. Alrighty. Alright, Bismillah. 
Let's share, let's go around and share a little bit. What are some things that you identified? And the reason why, again, this is important to do is because these are things, we're just not used to this culture of reflection. We're not used to it. How many of us, every day or every week, we think about like what traits we like and what traits we don't like about ourselves? Like This is a daily exercise. You should go through, make some ihtisab of yourself, make some muraqaba, some muhasaba every day. What are the things that I did today that I didn't like? Did I ever, you know, I have a friend that calls once in a while at the end of the day, every few, you know, few weeks, and he's like, hey, I realized today that I said something in front of you and I shouldn't have said. That's, you know, that doesn't just happen out of nowhere. The guy was probably thinking about it at the end of the day, going through his day, and then he realized that he wanted to make amends for that, right? So this is an important practice to work on. So what do you guys come up with? What are some things, number one, that you appreciate that Allah has given you? Maybe it's something that you had to work on or something that you sort of you learned. Uh, or, and then what are the thing, or the thing, the one thing that you want to get better at? Yeah. Okay, so, um, not like that. Okay. Okay, wow. How many of you guys agree? How many of you guys think that you're a pretty good listener? Anyone here? MashaAllah, okay, good. How many of you want to be better at following up with people? Okay. All right, good. So that hit, that hit one. And by the way, we're gonna, I'll, I'll show you why we're doing this. Anyone else? Thank you for sharing. Anyone else want to share? Yeah. Okay. Uh oh. Very good. We're going to talk about this as well. So the first is that we'll take care of our, she'll take care of her friends, right? She'll make sure that her friends are good. But sometimes one of the habits that can that can sort of evolve from that is that a person cannot take care of themselves and be so focused on taking care of others around them, which can be a problem. There's a statement in Arabic they say. Uh, that the person who has nothing can't give. So the reality is, you know, that the, the well has to be full. Very good. Anyone else? Any guys want to be vulnerable? Oh, mashallah. Wow. Okay. Amen. We got a lot of we got a lot of soft. We got a lot of sad boys in the room tonight. All right. Let's, okay. Go ahead. Wow. All right. Mashallah. We have a straight shooter here. Wow, subhanAllah. Dang. Allahu Akbar. Beautiful. Yeah. You know that the, the Prophet ﷺ, he said very beautifully. All right, so th- there's a lot of hadith, man. Like every, I think every single one you say, like there could be, and I don't even know that many hadith off the top of my head compared to some of the great scholars that were surrounded by Sheikh Mikhail, Mufti Kamani, Mufti others. Right? What's that? Re- I'm going to repeat it. I am, I am. I am. Give me a second, okay? He said, the first thing is, he said that, I'm trying to remember, that he's a, he, he calls things out. He's like, you know, he's not conflict avoidant. If he sees something wrong, he'll call it out, right? But then he said, the second thing he needs to work on is that when he loves, you know, one of his homies, the brothers, he needs to say, I love you. Not to the sisters. Don't, don't, you know, don't do that. Wait, to the brothers, okay? When you, see, when you see someone that you love, and the Prophet actually, he said, first of all, he demonstrated this. He demonstrated this with Mu'ad bin Jabal. He said, yeah, Mu'ad inni uhibbuk. I love you. And the companion said, we were so jealous of Mu'adh. Like, why did he get that? Right? And, and one of the reasons why the scholars say Mu'adh got it was because he always attended every class and he never missed. He was like one of the best students. So the Prophet ﷺ always saw him. Another narration the Prophet ﷺ taught us is that in order to increase love, you have to give gifts 
that if you give gifts, you'll love each other. So love among people is one of the, it's, it's one of the threads that keeps us together. And subhanAllah, so much of why we struggle with the social epidemic of like loneliness and feeling unwanted and wondering if people really like us, like all these things that sort of weave themselves in and out of our consciousness is perhaps because we are very stingy with our love. You know what I mean? Like maybe we do have appreciation for somebody, but we're not willing to share it. And we're afraid that if we do, it'll be taken the wrong way or it'll be judged or whatever. But the reality is the prophet prays to the brothers that they love each other for the sake of Allah. And the sisters, they love each other for the sake of, for the sake of Allah. Anyone else? Yeah. Taysir. Oh, wow. MashaAllah. Beautiful. Okay. So number one is that very, you know, he takes... He takes pleasure and gratitude with Allah that he assumes good in people. Called husnadhan, that you assume good in other people. But one thing that Taysir said he struggles with, mashallah, is that maybe he needs to not be a yes man, right? He need, maybe you and Ayman have to hang out. You got to learn how to call people's bull when you see it, right? Okay? So, yeah, not being a yes man, right? There may be moments where you're morally compromised, that your faith is being put in question by someone's actions or statements. And maybe saying that this isn't for me, right? This is making me uncomfortable. These are all examples. Let's take one more. Anyone have one? Yes. What's that? Yes, exactly. We're here to learn how to not be a bully. Habibti, you're right. Exactly. MashaAllah. Exactly. You get it. Yeah, we don't want to be a bully. Yeah, because that would be a lot of trouble for a mom to deal with. A lot of trouble for a mom to deal with. Incredible. Incredible. Can you make dua for us, inshallah? What's your name, Habdi? What's your name? Huh? Leia. Leia? MashaAllah. MashaAllah. You know, we all love you. All of us here, we love you so much. You know that? We're so happy that you're here with us. Alhamdulillah. Habibti, Allah bless you. You know, it's really, subhanAllah, I'll tell you something, man. Oh, okay, mashallah, mashallah. You know, one of my teachers said something really powerful. He said, when kids talk, listen, because they don't have sins that we do. And he says, the pure heart, it like has insight. Because it it's not jaded by the sins that we carry. Right? SubhanAllah. It was a, there was a, um, a book that I was reading where the scholar said that, you know, anytime you see somebody, you have to think they're better than you. When you see a kid, you think this person doesn't have the sins I have. When you see an older person, you think, this person's done so much more good than I have. So you look at her and everyone's sort of like, that's cute, but like, I guarantee you driving home, you're going to be like, you're right, I'm a bully. <laughs> All right, I got to change that about myself. I can't be a bully, you're right, I can't. I'm not. Oh, thank you so much. That means so much. She gave me Tazkiyah. Okay. So, so this book, Imam Ghazali, is how not to be a bully. Really, subhanAllah, what a great, what a great preface. Let's go ahead and read a little bit. Let's get started, inshallah. All right? All the traits that you guys mentioned, everything that everyone mentioned, Wallahi he mentions it. He mentions it. And why does he mention it? Because the, 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 be the most beautiful form of practicing Islam, Ihsan, the most beautiful form of Ihsan is practiced in a community that facilitates companionship. You, think about it. When Allah in the Quran addresses acts of worship to the believers, he addresses it in the plural form, the congregation. 
the, the congregational acts are obligatory for some, for, for in most scenarios, in most, for most people. You can't make Hajj by yourself. You have to be joined by other Muslims. Ramadan is an act of fasting that is obligatory, but you're surrounded by everyone else, right? Prayer is way better in congregation, and in fact, in some cases, obligatory in the masjid, depending on who you are, where you live, and then on Jummah, of course, we know. Why? Because there is an element of faith that can only be lived through companionship, right? You can't live faith alone. There's no idea of being a, a, a solitary Muslim, a lone wolf. It doesn't exist. So Imam Ghazali wrote this book because he wants us to know that, look, you are going to have to interact with people. But I want you to remember a few things about Imam Ghazali. Number one, you have to remember this, please, guys. He oftentimes speaks about an ideal scenario. Oftentimes. What do I mean by that? Speaking about an ideal. In a perfect world. Yeah, good job, Sabrina. In a perfect world. So he's saying, if you were to be like, perfect, this is what you could achieve. You could be... What's that? You want to go to Disney World? <laughs> Sounds like a perfect world. MashaAllah. So he says, in a perfect world, which means what? I really want to go to Disney World. You got me all distracted now. Okay. In a perfect world. Why does he do that? Well, in educational philosophy, we learn this, this famous educational theorist named Vygotsky. He came up or he, he coined this term called the zone of proximal development. And what he, what he meant by this was he meant to say that in the act of learning, which is what we're doing, we're learning spiritually. In the act of learning, he says, your goal as a student cannot be so close that it's uncomfortable, or I'm sorry, so close that it is reachable, but so far away that you can't reach it. It has to be just uncomfortable enough to where in order to attain your goal, you have to try your hardest. So Imam al-Ghazali is following the same theory where he's saying, look, if I were to describe how to be a good friend and I just described the way you were, you're not going to get any better. So why don't I share with you narrations and stories and reflections that yes, indeed, will be astonishing in some, in some ways. You're going to hear things and say like, who does that? But wallahi, I'll, I promise you this, or your money back, it's a free class. <laughs> I promise you this, there will come stories where your heart will instantly think and transport you to a moment in your life when you were the doer of the good or the recipient, so you'll know that it's possible. You'll know. And I'll share one tonight, inshallah, with you that I think everyone can probably relate to. Okay? So rule number one of Ghazali is that he speaks about ideals. Okay? Rule number two, in these scenarios, when he's talking about friendship, he's not saying that you have to be like this with every person that you know. Because that's not sustainable. That's not realistic. And you'll, you'll find out why. What he's saying is that for those that are near and dear to you, and for those that are near and dear, you should be this way. But what happens is that when a person makes it part of their personality to be the best that they can to those who are closest to them, naturally they get better with everybody else. So it's not like they have a drop-off. It's not like they all of a sudden just are perfect with their friends and then they're just really rude to everybody. No. When a person works on their heart sincerely, everyone benefits. Now those closest to them, of course, are going to notice the most. But those around them, maybe their coworkers or classmates, if you become more patient at home, you'll probably be more patient at work. If you become more grateful to those around you, you might also have more gratitude to those that you see once in a while. It's a nature of your personality. So this is number two, which is you're not obligated to be best friends 
with everybody, okay? That's a reality. Number three is that this process is a journey. This is not going to happen overnight. This is a lifelong struggle. This working on the nafs is something that does not end in a week or two. It is something that you will live and grow with. And you're going to master some things, and as soon as you master one thing, something else is going to pop up. And as soon as you master that, something else is going to pop up. And then you might have to do a little refresher on step number one. It's just the way that it works, right? The heart is, you know, the word qalb in Arabic also shares the same root as qallaba, yuqallibu, right? To flip. In qilab, right? It, all these have connotations of something that moves a lot. Why? Because the heart moves. So you might set on one state and then you figure out that something is more attractive here and there and you're going back and forth, back and forth. So don't, don't think that this is going to be a short-term sprint. This is a marathon, right? This is a marathon, right? Run DMC, shout out. Okay, so, or DMRC. All right, so let's begin. Bismillah. What does Imam al-Ghazali say? When he thinks about friendship, he says, know that the contract of friendship, عقد الأخوتي رابط بين الشخصين he says, when you think about friendship, understand that in its own way, friendship is kind of like marriage. Right? Just like you have when you get married, agreements with each other, right? Husband and wife have agreements. What are the agreements going to be? Well, this and that. This is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to you know, choose to live. This is where we're gonna, how we're going to make our decisions, how we're going to figure out disagreements, all of that. This is our promise to preserve each other's dignity, each other's sanity, each other's emotional well-being, spiritual, all of that, right? When you get married, this is, these are the things you have to figure out. Just like that, he says, when you engage in the act of friendship with somebody, close friendship, you have similar negotiations. It's true, isn't it? You have friends, and you know that there are some friends that can take a joke, yes or no? Are there some friends in here that you know cannot take a joke? You are that person? No, I'm joking. Never that person, right? And you know, you know everyone has different nerves. Everyone has different spots that are a little bit softer than others. And by being friends with that person, like you know what you can bring up, what you can't bring up. You know people's moods. And you know that when that person is in a good mood, they might be more willing to talk. Or you know that when they're in a bad mood, they want more space. Nothing's wrong. They just need a little bit of quiet time. Just like marriage has that learning experience, the exploration, and trying to figure out what's the best approach, he says friendship is the same way. Friendship is the same way. So he says, just as marriage gives rise to certain duties which must be fulfilled when the contract is entered into, so does the contract of friendship make it upon each friend that there is a certain right in that relationship. And here when he says right, he's not talking about legally. He's saying that in order to have a beautiful relationship between two friends, here are the things that you have to think about. Number one, he says, what's the relationship with each other according to your property? Are you the kind of person that lets your friend walk into your house and sit down and watch TV? Can your friend open your fridge? Can they not? Do you let your friend drive your car if they need to borrow it? Right? Do you, do you loan money to your friend? If someone needs to borrow something from you, like you know your phone or your computer, whatever, can they borrow? What is the status of your relationship with your friend, your brother or sister, when it comes to property? Number two, with you as a person, right? Someone mentioned here, I'm always there for my friends. That's an example of being there for, as a person for your friend. Number three, he says, with your tongue, and he breaks it up into two sections. He says, do you speak well of them? And he mentions specifically in their absence. 
And he says, do you protect their honor by not speaking poor of them in their absence or in their presence? SubhanAllah, when you are a friend with someone, do you know what kinds of vulnerabilities you expose yourself to? Your friend, just like your spouse, learns things about you that maybe you don't want the public to know. Maybe you're not ready for people to know certain things about you, certain struggles that you have or things that you're not very good at or you're not proud of. When you have a relationship with somebody in friendship, there is a responsibility to preserve that person's honor. The Prophet said, Al-Majalisu Bil-Amana. That the gatherings that people are sitting and talking about each other and like to each other, if you have a few friends over for some food, he says there's an amana there. That if somebody utters something, how many times have you had to tell your friend, please don't tell anybody else? Anyone here? And how many of you, you knew as soon as you told them that it was definitely to be told to other people? It happens sometimes. Allah protect us. You know the Prophet said that the default, the default, is that if you tell someone something and that person's a Muslim and you're a Muslim, that it should be like Fort Knox. That information that you just uttered, or they uttered to you, whatever they told you, there's no tacit approval of who you can tell. Oh, can I tell my wife? Can I tell my husband? Can I tell my sister? Can I tell my... Oh, but we're both friends with this person. I, I can tell them that, right? We do all these like mental gymnastics to figure out... Maybe when the person told us and they said, don't tell anybody, they meant what they said. Maybe they meant don't tell anybody. There's integrity and honor in that. So your tongue and your heart, he says, with your tongue and your heart, by forgiving them, by praying for them. How many of us make dua for our friends? By sincerity, by loyalty, by uh, being light with people, by being considerate with them, and and relieving them from all of their dis, uh, difficulties and their situations that they find themselves in. He says, There are eight categories, eight rights that I have comprised. Imam Ghazali is saying this, where if you work on this, you will be able to become a better friend. Right? So let's start. Number one, he says, al the first one is filmal in wealth. How many of you guys think you're generous with your friends? Anyone? Okay, don't raise your hand. How many of you, you want to work on this part of your, your aspect? You want to be more generous? And show, don't raise your hand. You want to be more generous, right? Okay, bismillah. He said that the Prophet said, you ready for this? Everyone hold up your hands. Now start to wash your hands like this, okay? He says, the Prophet said, that two brothers, al-akhawain mithlul yadain, tawsilu ihdahuma al-ukhra. Do that again, wash your hands. Have you guys ever tried to wash your hand with one hand? Okay, you can get the front pretty well, huh? You're like, I mastered it. But what about the back? That's where all the turmeric is from the, in your nails, right? Like, oh, you got your nails done. No, I didn't. I just ate curry, right? <laughs> like, that's, the, that's what happened back here, okay? And even with soap, it doesn't work, subhanAllah, sometimes. That stuff is really from another planet. So... You can wash your hand pretty well with one hand, but only the front. You can't get the back. The only way you can get the back is with the other hand. And it's the same for the other hand. It can wash itself in the front, but can't get the back. The Prophet ﷺ is narrated to have said that friendship is just like this. You are literally, the Prophet ﷺ is saying, as a person incomplete in your ability without good company. You will not be the fullest version of yourself unless you have someone there with you. Because you can't accomplish everything on your own. Just like one hand can't handle everything. Trying to lift something up, you can't do it with one hand. 
You can try. And when someone tries and they fail, they oftentimes make a fool of themselves. If I tried to lift this desk with one hand, I would drop it. But if I lifted it with two hands, I'd be able to do it. Likewise, if I lifted it with another person, it would look even better. Why? Because I would have submitted and humbled myself to the fact that I need help. I need someone else. This religion is built upon principles that are based in our creation. And in our creation, Allah reminds us how needy we are of each other. SubhanAllah. So he says, the Prophet ﷺ says this. And then he goes on to explain. He says, he chose the simile, the example of two hands, rather than the hand and the foot. Why do you think the Prophet ﷺ didn't use hand and foot? Like one punches, one kicks. Why? Okay, maybe they're far apart. Okay, good. What else? Yes, right? This is what Imam al-Ghazali says. He says, the hand and the foot have different tasks. The hand's job is to open, close, grab, you know, whatever. All these things that you need to do with your hand. Your foot can't do, you have different tasks. So he says, when you have two hands working together, you know, it's not like you're, you're lazy trying to pick up the remote from the floor. When you have two hands working together, Imam al-Ghazali says what? You can both come together and accomplish a single aim. And he says, this is exactly what friendship is. Every friendship that you have, the best friendships that you have are ones where you have common goals. That doesn't mean that you're using each other. It's not like you're trying to like start a business or like, you know, make gains, right? Bulk season, cut, see, whatever. It's not that, right? Hey, bro, did you make the chicken? Yeah, I made the broccoli. All right, cool. Like, that's not it. You have common goals in your spiritual and moral substance. The best relationships you have, you share values. It's just like marriage. When you get married, many people get married for the wrong reasons. This is going to become a marriage class for sure. (laughs) When you get married, a lot of people get married for the wrong reasons. A lot of people think, okay, well, compatibility means that I like Bollywood, he likes Bollywood, or that I like this, he likes this, or like when we both said, what's your favorite food on the count of three, we both screamed, kunafa, like at the same time, oh my God, right? It was written in the stars, shirk, don't say that. It was written by Allah, okay? (laughs) Right? Don't say stuff like stars and stuff, that's not. But, right? SubhanAllah, when people have successful marriages and I talk to them and ask them questions, I, I interview, like when I sit with elderly people, by the way, do this, make this a part of your life. When you sit with people older than you, just ask them questions. Interview them. Start to learn more from them. Observe them. So I'll sit, I have, my wife and I have this couple friend, legitimately they're like double our age. And we have dinner with them. We're like, hey, what's going on? You know, we, we get together. It's so nice. They cook. <laughs> you know, they cook, mashallah, make some <laughs> amazing food. And we sit with them, we talk, and we just ask them, like, how, how, how did you raise your kids like this? How did you, how did you make it this many years in marriage? Like, what's the secret? What's the secret? And what we find is that they're, they focused on the right compatibilities, not the meaningless ones. It wasn't about the food they liked or whether or not they liked this or that. It was about what they felt and believed was important in the heart. What was important in the heart? Do you care about things like family? Do you care about taking care of your family? Do you care about calling your your siblings and your parents? Do you care about serving the world? Do you care about your deen, Allah and His Messenger? Do you care about your relationship with the Qur'an? Because if you engage in a relationship, whether it's marriage or whether it's friendship, with somebody who carries these same traits, the inevitable outcome is that you're going to be there for each other. But if you find yourself focused on one thing, 
something that means something to you and your friend, or in this example, your spouse, doesn't really care about that. You're going to be constantly trying to convince that person to find value in what you find value in. And likewise, they're going to be doing the same thing. So Imam al-Ghazali here says the best thing you can do in terms of your friendship is make sure that you and the other person, you have somewhat of a similar life aim. Now, I'm not talking about you need to start interviewing your friends. Ten questions to see if we can still hang out. All right, where do you see yourself in five years? That's not what I'm talking about. But these conversations come up. These things come up. And you should be able to have a, a little bit of an awareness and an analysis of what things are important to them and to you. And you can accordingly make your decisions, right? So he says that the two of them are in mutual assistance towards a single goal, towards a single aim. And he says it is the exact same way with two brothers and sisters. He says their friendship is only complete when they become companions in a single goal. In the sense, he says, the two almost act like one person. You guys have that friend where you can finish each other's sentences? He says, in, in a sense, you start to become like a person, like a single person. He says, this means that you both have participated in common moments of good and bad. You go through it together. A partnership in the future, as well as the present and the past. You've gone through a lot together, right? The friendship stands the test of time. And he says, and one of the signs of this is that when you are with this person, you abandon possessive mentalities. So what are some of the signs? He says there are three degrees. The lowest, he says, adnaha, the lowest degree, is that you treat your friend on the same footing as your servant. How many of you guys would ever ever think of your friend like that? No way. But listen to how he defines it. He starts with this sentence to make you uncomfortable. He says, some of you treat your friends like they're your slaves. And you're like, what? I just asked for the remote. Like, it wasn't that serious. <laughs> Here's exactly what he means. Now he's going to define that. He says, you only take care of them when you have extra. Right? Because what do you do with servants? Like, you pay them from your profit. You don't, if you have a servant, right, you, you're not... You're not feeding the person that's working for you from your dinner, right? That's a sign of a really, really generous person. But generally, you know, someone, if you got like the, 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 the internet guys coming over to install the internet in your house, you're not like, Jeff, would you like to join us? Like, I made like chicken karai. Like, would you like to? No, you're, that's not how it works. When someone's coming over for service to your home, like, you're just kind of like, yeah, this is you. This is me. Our relationship is not friendly, okay? I'm nice to you, but we're not friends, okay? So he says, some of you kind of treat your friends like that in that you only care for them materially when you have already taken care of yourself. And once you've taken care of yourself and you have extra, then you're like, hey, anyone need any help? I have a little bit on top. I can help you out. He says, when some need befalls your friend and you have already satisfied your own needs, then you might give spontaneously. Spontaneously means what? What's the opposite of spontaneous? Continuous. You're not dependable. Does everyone here want to be a friend that your friends can rely on? Is that a trait that sounds good? Like your friends know that they can call you because they can rely on you? Being spontaneous is the opposite of being reliable. What he's saying here is that some of us are in such a friendship with others that when they think about asking us for help, they're concerned about being rejected more often than they are about being helped. SubhanAllah. Abu Hanifa has a beautiful story about this 
One time his neighbor came to him, and his neighbor came and asked for money, and he started crying. He started crying in front of his neighbor. His neighbor said, I'm so sorry. His neighbor thought he offended him. I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. He goes, no, I'm crying, not because of you. I'm crying because of me. And his, his neighbor said, what do you mean? He goes, I can't believe that I made you humble yourself to such a degree that you had to come over and you had to make yourself appear so weak in front of me to ask me. I am your neighbor. I should have noticed. I should have noticed that you needed help. I should have seen that there was no smoke coming out of your chimney so you weren't cooking. Should have seen the clothing on your children looked a little bit old, not new, not clean. I should have noticed these things. So that way I could have figured out a way to provide for you without you having to humiliate yourself. So he started to cry. And he said, what kind of neighbor am I? And he helped him as much as he could. This is what he's talking about. If we want to become the friend that is reliable, then we have to become a person that doesn't only help when we have extra, but we consider our friends, the close friends that we have, in the same need category as ourselves. That's number two. The second degree is that you place your friend on the same footing as yourself, your brother or sister. They're right there with you. You are content to have them as a partner in your property. And you treat them just like yourself. You treat them just like yourself. You don't give them any sort of, and this is difficult, okay? And you let them share it equally. Al-Hasan al-Basri, rahimahullah, he once said that there was a man who was known that when he saw his friend and his friend didn't have like a, a belt, a waistband, he would take his own and cut it in half and he would give it to the other guy. Like, I would much rather have half of a belt than a full belt, and you have none. Okay? So think about, right, for example, these instances and moments where when you are being generous, but you have to think momentarily for that microsecond, like, am I giving myself preference? Right? So you're serving someone some dessert, and you have the brownies, and you have the edge piece and the middle piece. And you want the edge piece. And you know your friend wants the edge piece. And then you quickly give them the middle piece, right? You're like, look, I gave them a brownie. No, but you still had that micro moment. You still had that moment where you made that judgment, right? Effectively, what we're trying to accomplish is where we're not even looking at the thing that we're sharing. We're not even making a judgment call. We're literally, the person comes in and says, can I have a brownie? And you say, yes, take whichever you like. We're not looking and saying, yes, right? <laughs> we... There was a person that I knew growing up, whenever we would order like family style at restaurants. By the way, if you want to test this book, everything in it, just order at a restaurant family style. You'll test every theory in this book, subhanAllah. You'll find out who's who, where's where, who's weak, everything. We had, we had a person that we used to go with growing up, whenever we ordered like a mixed grill platter, and we're all sitting there, and we order one, and whoever picked up the tongs, he'd be eating, and then he's like, and he'd look up at the time, the person would grab one, and you'd almost see him like, one. And grab another one, he's like, two, right? Like, like the IRS, bro. Like making sure, like auditing this guy's like chicken boti, man. Like, let the guy eat, you know what I mean? And he's just like, and, and again, there was, a, there was a point, there was a point where it almost became uncomfortable to go eat with this person, right? Now again, it's easy for us to laugh about it, but how many of us are kind of like that? Where with our stuff, we're like a little bit too like, 
little bit too clingy, a little bit too preferential, a little bit too selfish. And then the person just says to themselves, okay, even though you, we, you, you are sharing with me, you are being nice, but I can tell that it's coming from more of a place of, uh, you know, sort of force and not really equal footing, right? So he says the second degree is that you ignore that preference and you say, you know what? What's mine is yours. What's mine is yours. The third degree, he says, and this is the highest of all. You ready? You guys know where this is going. Is that you prefer your friend to yourself. You prefer your friend. You go out to get burgers and they say, guys, there's only one burger left. And you say, the first person says, I'll, I'll take it. The second person says, let's split it. The third one says, I'm fasting. I'm, I'm not eating it. It's after Isha, the guy's like, oh, you're not fasting. <laughs> right? You're like, I'm very pious. You have no idea, right? <laughs> he says, you prefer your brother to yourself. You prefer your sister to yourself. And when he says prefer, this is the crazy part. You're not faking it. You're not faking it. Like in that moment, in that example that I just gave, you actually no longer even really feel the desire to have that food. Like truly in you, you're like, I don't really want this. I would rather see my friend have this than me. I'd ra I'm so happy for them. Right? I know I wanted to get a job. And this is really important. A lot, of you, a lot of us talk about hasad. How many of us here are afraid of being envied? Or getting nazar done on us? Or ayin or hasad? Y'all are lying so hard right now. I swear to God, if a single person stands up here after class and asks you about nazar, everyone's going to raise their hand. I swear to God. Everyone's like, oh, well, nazar, this and that. What do I do? What do I do? You know what solves nazar? Becoming like this. When you become like this, you extinguish any flame that hasad has to exist when you prefer others to, accept, to yourself. What did Allah describe some of the companions? He says, Do you know the story? The story, subhanAllah, there was a, 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 a guest, some people, some uh, foreigners came to Medina and they asked for a place to stay. The Prophet announced at the masjid, there's guests who need a place to stay. Who can host them? One man raised his hand. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I will do it. I will do it. And then he went home and he said to his wife, can we host guests? <laughs> Which if you're married, you know that's exactly how it works. Okay? You commit and then you go and seek permission. Okay? So his wife said, no. <laughs> what do you mean? And he said, uh-oh. I told the Prophet that we would. <laughs> and she said, that's not my problem, that's yours. And he said, why are you saying no? She said, we don't have any food. Typical Arabs. We don't have any food, right? Meaning if you don't have food, the Arabs are going to be like, stay away from us. If we can't feed you, you're not welcome in our house. Because you're so hospitable, subhanAllah. So he says, we don't have any food. The companion says, oh. And she goes, we have just enough, like barely enough, maybe for like an appetizer for two people. That's it. So the husband's like, man, I'm in a really tough spot. I spoke too soon. I got to fix this. He says, I have an idea. We're going to host these people. But I have an idea. So what he does is he invites them in, he gets them set up, he gives them a space, and he sets up a little you know, kitchen area for them and says, you guys eat here. He puts whatever food they have there, plates it nicely, you know, nice little plating, right, for them. And then he says, my wife and I, we're going to stay upstairs. We're going to stay in this area of the house, right? A little bit away. And what he did was he set up their area so that it was completely dark, right? Well, you know, don't look back here. It's just fine. We know the house well. We don't need lights. And he gave them all the candles, all the torches for them to have their lighting. 
as they were eating, the people who were guests were actually eating the food. He and his wife started to make mouth noises as if they were eating. As if they were eating. Because what do you think is going to happen when the guests are chewing and then they stop and they just feel these two eyes, four eyes looking at them like, it's good, isn't it? Well, it's very good. That's my favorite. Right? Okay? So in order to make the guests feel at home, in order to make them feel not awkward, the, 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 the companion and his wife, may Allah be pleased with them, they sat there and they pretended to eat food. And they went to sleep hungry. The next morning for Fajr, the companion, he walks into the masjid. And the Prophet ﷺ is smiling at him, all of his teeth. He's like beaming. And he's almost laughing. He says, Allah is so happy with you. He got revelation from Jibreel about this person. He's mentioned the Qur'an. Allah describes, And they preferred others to themselves, even though they were the ones who were in need. They gave it away. This is an act. What he just described, level three, is literally something that Allah notices. Allah notices everything, but this is something He particularly points out in the Qur'an. Can you be this person? Can you be the person that when you're in the situation where there is scarcity, there's limitation, it's not abundant. It's easy to share when there's a plethora of options. Easy to share. When there's scarcity, can you be the one that defers and prefers others to yourself? This is the highest level. He says self-sacrifice is one of the fruits of this degree. He says, our history tells us about a group of people, Muslims, that were ordered to be executed by their leader. There was a group of Muslims that were ordered to be executed to the death, right? And he says that when they were being executed, they were being lined up one at a time. And we'll finish with this story, inshallah, because I know it's 8.30. And as they were being lined up to be executed, okay, there was number one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, six guys, they're about to get killed. Guess what happens? The guy who's sixth in line, who has the most time left, runs up to the executioner. Says, take my life first. Executioner says, what? This has never happened before. He said, take my life first. He says, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Where? He says, I would rather that my brothers had an extra moment to live than myself. Like, if we're all going to go through this, just take me first. I'd rather they had a chance. So he goes, fine. So he, he lines up. He's about to strike. Number five, jump. No! Take me first. Executioner's like, is this some kind of joke? And they all do this. The executioner pauses because he realizes he's witnessing something very strange here. He's like, I've never seen this before. What is everyone usually doing? They're begging for a lot. You know, take, take them first. Don't take me. All right? These guys are saying, take me first. Don't take them. So the executioner puts down his sharp object. He goes to the leader and he tells the leader that I just saw the most strange thing. The leader says, what? He says, as I was getting ready to fulfill the punishment, by the way, it wasn't a true crime that they committed. It was a slander. That the narration mentions, mentions it was a lie that got them in trouble. He went to the, the, the leader and he said, all these guys were jumping ahead of each other in line to be executed first. He said, I've never seen this before. He said, why would they do that? He said, out of love for their brother. And the leader said, cancel their execution. 
I've never seen people with this kind of substance, this constitution, this way that they treated one another. Okay? He said that if you do not find yourself at any of these stages in relation to your friends, if you're not a person who, can, who treats them, of course, above yourself, equal to yourself, or even someone who gives anything, right, any extra, he goes, then realize that you're really not a friend of anybody. You can't even call yourself a friend of anybody. Okay? And he says, all that lies between you and people you know is a title. But there's no warmth there. There's no connection between the hearts. Okay? Uh, we'll share one more narration and then we'll conclude, inshallah. Um, there was a man named Utbah al Ghulam. And he came to the house of another one of his friends, who was his brother. And he said to him, Hey, friend, I need to borrow 4,000. Uh, 4,000, uh, you know, I don't want to say dollars, but 4,000 coins. Maybe about 4,000, you know, dinar. And the friend looked at him and said, take 2,000. Take 2,000. So the guy who was asking said, you know what? We're not friends anymore. You preferred Allah to this world. You preferred this world to Allah, sorry. And he said, how could you have called yourself my brother when you didn't help me in a time of need? I came to you asking, and instead of helping me, you nickeled and dimed me. This isn't talking about a person who was asking for too much. This is talking about a person who came and asked from someone who could. And just for the sake of dunya, they cut that person down and said, you know what, I know you need this much and I can help you, but I'm not going to give you that much. That's why he said, you've clearly chosen this world to Allah. So these are the stories and examples that Imam al-Ghazali gives. Now, your homework is to not ask your friends for $4,000 tonight. Okay? The, the purpose of reading this text is not to become a assessment on our relationships. That's not the goal. The goal is, what should we think of tonight? What we should think of tonight as we go home is we should think of, am I the kind of person that gives and provides and is there only when it's convenient for me? Do I do it alongside myself? And have I ever, can I even think of a memory where I have provided and taken care of somebody even when I myself did not have the thing that I was giving to them? Right? Those are the questions that we should ask. I don't want this to become uh, uh, you know, some kind of test on our friendships. This should rather become a test on ourselves. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us all the good qualities of what we have, what we've read. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us good friends, to make us people that take care of one another, that take care of those that are close to us. I mean, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Anyone have any questions before we break? Two minutes for questions. Yeah. Yes, so this is a good question. If you give so much that you put everyone over yourself, doesn't that have negative consequences for you as a person? So again, we're reading this as, a, as an example of, you know, I like to use this, differ, this differentiation. He's descriptive, not prescriptive. He's not telling you that you have to be the one that's doing all this. He's saying, look, if you want your friendships to be at that level, you should be a person that can at least would feel happy being the one who drank it with your life. Right? We all expect, like, you're not going to find these examples. You're not going to be the person that's cut. I don't want to see you guys cutting your belt in half, handing it to the other guy, like, here, here's half a belt. The examples have to be translated to your context. They have to be translated to who you are. Anyone in here, whenever you buy yourself something, you try to buy something for your friend too. You're on vacation and you try to buy a gift for some people that you love. You're, that's you. You're doing exactly what he's talking about. 
There are practical ways to apply this stuff. We'll give more examples, inshallah, as we go through the text, inshallah. Good question, though. Yeah, the answer to that question is you should not give so much that you put yourself in a state of detriment. Yeah. Mm, very good. Okay. How do you understand the difference between helping and being taken advantage of? This we'll talk about a little bit more as we go. The TLDR is that helping someone is ultimately productive to them. Being taken advantage of is ultimately not helpful to them. Okay. But here's the little bit of a, a annotation on that. There are many ways to help someone and even if one of them leads to maybe being a bad way that could lead them to being enabled or being, you can be creative and try to think of other ways. For example, if someone's asking for money and you know that if you give them money, they might buy something that's not good for them, you can go and instead buy them what you know will be good for them. Does that make sense? So you know that someone's struggling with an addiction. If you give them money, they might go buy that. What you do instead is you go buy them food, right? And you say, hey, I know you're hungry. Here's, here's what I think. You get creative with your help. A lot of us kind of stop at that first obstacle. Like, oh, I don't want to be taken advantage of. I don't want to enable this behavior. Well, we can get creative and still be helpful. All right? We ask Allah Ta'ala to do it, Sophia, inshallah. Any other questions? We'll wrap up, inshallah. Oh, oh, sorry. We got two more. Okay, really quickly, yeah. Either one. Look, look at this preference of each other's final one. This is what happens. We're going to end up just sitting here. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The Muslims paying for the bill moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and honestly, there, there's, a little bit of, there's a little bit of kind of beauty in that moment, as much as it can be stressful, and, everyone, and, and people can leave very upset with each other. Uh, there's a little bit of beauty in that moment. So the question is, what happens if you have this persistence to do good, and it kind of clashes? One way that I found that I saw beautifully done by a friend of mine when we were engaged in this, is that uh, he said, let me get you this time, you get me next time. Right? And, and subhanAllah, there's a story that he tells later, and he says that there were two brothers that both were in debt, and when they came across money, they paid for the other one's debt without them knowing. And so they both ended up debtless. And then they, they were like, oh, wow, thanks, right? <laughs> so that's kind of a beautiful way to concede that, is that you, know, you both are so persistent in it, maybe one of you says, you know what, I insist, I'm, I'm getting it this time, right? And if you feel real confident, drop the W, bro. Drop the Wallahi. I'm getting it this time. Wallahi, I'm getting it this time. And next time, I'll let you get me, inshallah, right? Because there's also beauty in allowing people to take care of you, too. There's barakah in that, and you take care of others. Good question. Allah Yeah. Uh, that's why I ask I wouldn't actually do that. That was a joke. I wouldn't say I was fasting. Uh, no, and I, I will explain that. The question is, is this one of the categories of actions where you can like bend the truth a little bit to kind of make sure that... It, it's tricky. We'll talk about that, inshallah. The best is to be honest, right? And just to be, you know, uh, have ikram and generosity. Um, but I would, I would not make up a lie about fasting uh, just so that the person ate the last burger. No, I would not. I, that was a joke. I apologize. Sometimes I, 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 my dad jokes come out too serious. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to accept. We'll go over that more, inshallah. We ask Allah to accept from us. Barakallahu feekum, everybody. Jazakum Allah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.